Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You could use a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Going Underground, France 24, NHK Japan, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with Afshin Mertansi's Going Underground. Afshin speaks with Alistair Crook, former advisor to the European Union Foreign Policy Chief and founder of Conflicts Forum. He talks about the growing anti-colonial sentiment across the global south over the war in Gaza and the collapse of the West narrative over Gaza and Ukraine. Also, the U.S. and European media's omission of South Africa's evidence against Israel at the International Court of Justice and the U.S. and U.K. airstrikes against the Houthis in Yemen, going underground. Over 100 days have passed since the onset of the Anglo-American-backed war on Gaza. 65,000 tons of bombs, three times the power of Hiroshima, have now killed at least 24,000 Palestinians, mostly women and children. More journalists, all of them trying to bypass NATO nation propaganda and censorship, have now been killed in Gaza than journalists all around the globe in the whole of World War II. And yet Washington and her client European states continue to back Israel, now facing genocide charges initiated by South Africa and backed by the Arab League at the International Court of Justice. The Biden administration has been bypassing Congress to approve weapon sales to kill the children of Gaza, and in tandem with Britain, both backing Israel's strikes in Jerusalem and on Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq, they have aerially bombarded the Arab world's poorest country, Yemen, which de facto sanctioned Israel-linked shipping in support of UN resolutions on Palestine. Joining me now from Rome in Italy is former British diplomat Alistair Crook. He was once Middle East advisor to the European Union's foreign policy chief and is now director of the Beirut-based Conflicts Forum. How alienated from the world are the U.S., the EU, NATO allies uh, after 4% of Gaza's population is now dead, uh, disappeared or wounded? Completely divorced. Completely divorced. The whole, particularly the Middle East, is boiling with anger. They see these images every day and they see children that are dead and they see bombs falling they see the rubble pulling people out of the rubble. I mean, it's it's horrific. It's disgusting. And so they're furious across the Middle East and in the global south as well. I mean, it is a, it's actually stirring up a very strong sort of anti-colonial, um, if you like, sentiment besides that. So when you talk about the international court, uh, of jurisdiction in, in The Hague. For many in the global south, it, it, it is also Europe and America and the West that's on, on trial as well for, for, for what's happening uh, in Gaza. I mean, it's, it's right across. It's, it's creating something really quite important, I believe, in terms of a, a, a new sentiment, a sentiment of, 
you know, we finished with colonialism. We finished with all of this uh, hegemony, the rules order. Uh, we want to be sovereign and we want to be independent. Censorship in uh, Western Europe. I suppose we better just quickly talk about Western Europe, given you were the advisor to the uh, EU foreign policy chief. Uh, the sex crime allegations, the beheaded babies stories, uh, they just sort of disappeared, I think, after a lot of people were casting doubt on them from the original uh, attacks uh, last year. Ursula von der Leyen has only said Hamas alone is responsible for what is happening. Similar support for Israeli genocide from the Council of Europe political committee. They are going to discuss it, apparently, uh, towards the end of this month. Clear that Western Europe uh, could be co-conspirators in any uh, conviction for genocide at the ICJ? Uh, yes, I mean, this is the style of Europe now and of America. Uh, you know, the, the main myth uh, of the West, that somehow we are culturally uh, superior, that we've inherited this from Greek, uh, sort of, uh, and that therefore, you know, we have the right, the mandate to lead the world, is over. And the West knows that, that states just don't accept that we are somehow um, have this um, uh, election to leadership. Uh, and so we see all the West is sticks to a narrative. It tries to get the winning narrative. What matters is we have the winning narrative and they have a clunky narrative, which is not as good. And we repeat our narrative from the top to the very bottom, and everyone must say the same same narrative. Of course, what's happened in, in Iraq, uh, in uh, Ukraine, uh, and elsewhere, is, you know, that narrative is sort of descended into deception, into uh, blatant lying on the part of the West, trying to try and sustain these narratives. And so they say all these things. And of course, everyone understands, you know, when they say, as von der Leyen, I think, said, uh, Russia is losing in Ukraine. I mean, it's our nonsense. I mean, no one believes us. This is just her magical thinking. So this is, I, I, I mean, I think this is the case that we, uh, uh, we are suffering um, across the board. So all these things, Gaza, Ukraine, all of this, we must support the narrative, otherwise the West is finished because its myth is deteriorating, is fragmenting, and if it also loses the narratives, then we're over, it's done. Well, maybe that's what's coming anyway, and maybe it'd be quite good for the West to go through a process of catharsis and to try and regenerate itself in a new way in this new era out of which some green shoots possibly can emerge. I know that Iran, uh, for example, which is a sort of principle in the resistance axis and sits in the sort of the control room for the, the operational office of center for it, I mean, is always consulting and reassuring Saudi Arabia and making sure it's not in Israel, it is not in Iran's interest, it's not in Saudi Arabia's interest uh, to have its um, energy infrastructure destroyed, neither of them. And so I don't think there's really any likelihood that that's going to happen. How aghast must uh, Beijing be looking at the uh, uh, destruction of world trade routes, which are going to be worsened by these British and American airstrikes, not 
uh, somehow things are going to be better for the Chinese economy because of this, and of course for exports uh, from uh, the Persian Gulf and GCC as well. China, of course, is watching. I mean, I think, you know, they have a long-term vision, and so they can see that what's going to come out of this is a new global order, and it's going to be a global order in which China and Russia are going to have a big say. So I don't think they're that despondent about it. But the other thing is that there are new trade routes opening. The Arctic route is opening. There are other routes, trade routes are opening. The North-South Corridor is opening. Uh, there are a lot of things that are opening that um, uh, were intended all, always from the beginning um, to sort of lessen, decouple a little bit from the Suez Canal and from the choke points which the West sits on. What about Mahmoud Abbas, who sits there in Jerusalem? We've seen this <laughs> horrific situation in the West Bank in, in Jerusalem. Is American protection of Abbas all that is really stopping this? Why has Abbas not been killed? I don't know. I don't know. All I can say is I think the West Bank is on the brink of explosion, um, which could happen. It's not really on the knife edge. The tension there is huge. And I don't know. And um, Is it American uh, protection? I, I don't know. I imagine it is. I imagine he's protected because he's you know useful uh, for the Americans and for the West. But, I mean, he is completely ignored and disliked by 90% of the Palestinians. So, I mean, he's irrelevant. It's not really important, I mean, whether he sits in the Mukata or not. I mean, uh, it's not something really to waste much time on. And uh, as for the censorship in Western Europe and to American populations, maybe there's less censorship actually in the United States because it seems to me that the demonstrations yeah. are bigger there for Palestinian solidarity than there are in uh, Western Europe. Um, Davos had a whole session on information warfare. Is it, are they beginning to fail, the big Silicon Valley uh, censorship organizations, high-tech censorship organizations? Are they, has Palestine managed to break through the censorship? Um, not entirely. I mean, you know, sitting here in, uh, in Europe, in Western Europe, I mean, the, the, the first day of um, uh, the Court of Justice in The Hague was not covered by Western uh, media, mainstream media. I mean, BBC, um, Sky, they ignored it and concentrated only on it and returned to it only on the second day when Israel was presenting its defense. So it, it's still very much everything is locked down you're not allowed to refer to the South African case that they mounted very cogently, I might say, from the particularly from the the, the Irish lawyer. Uh, she was um, fantastic, and she argued on on legal terms, which was really important, and not just diverted into sort of solely um, emotional uh, uh, feelings. And they need to understand they can't simply um, uh, stand by their position that we stand with Israel uh, and rip everything of its context as if, you know, the the incident, what happened only happened on the 7th of October and there was no before and no wider context to this. This was just something that, you know, that was done by a small group and, and they attribute it like this. It's the same thing they do in Ukraine. You know, 
Russia suddenly illegally decided to invade Ukraine, as if there was no history, as if there was no background. There was no 2014. There was no Maidan movement and coup d'etat. I mean, this is this is how they do politics. Uh, it, and it has consequences, because the consequences is that they don't hear, they can't hear what the rest of the world is saying to them, because they're saying, no, no, this is the narrative. This is what happened. We insist that this is the narrative. No, there's no question. There's no other. There's no othering of these exercises. This is the narrative. But when you do that, you can't hear. You, you lost the ability to, to empathize or listen to what other people are saying. They can't even listen to what the Russians say anymore. No, 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 we don't. You always lie. We don't pay any attention to what you say. Alistair Crook, thank you. That excerpted interview with Alistair Crook was by Afshin Ratansi from his twice-weekly program called Going Underground TV. You can find the complete interview at the Canadian-based streaming service called Rumble.com or as a podcast at Apple Podcasts. Rumble.com has also posted archived interviews Afshin did with the recently deceased great journalist John Pilger and many others. Search for Going Underground TV on Rumble.com or just look for Going Underground on Apple Podcasts. Next, France 24. International press reviews on the death toll in Gaza, farmers blocking roads in protest across Europe, and 1.4 million Germans protesting against far-right extremists who are pushing for the deportation of immigrants. According to the Iraq government, U.S. military strikes in Iraq and Yemen are undermining years of cooperation and creating a dangerous escalation of war in the region. France 24. I want to uh, start by showing you El País, a Spanish newspaper, this morning, highlighting that fact that the Hamas-run health ministry says that the death toll has now surpassed 25,000 since the 7th of October. But even more shocking, perhaps, they say, is that half of that number are children in 105 days of conflict. LPs say that one in every 100 Gazans have been killed, just over 1%. And they compare that in scale and say if that was Madrid, that would be 70,000 people killed. They note that while it's difficult to find similar numbers in, in other recent conflicts, the available data indicates that more people are dying per day than in Iraq, Syria, or in the first month of the war in Ukraine. In Gaza, the civilian death toll reached 10,000 after just the first month of attacks in Ukraine. It took a year and a half to reach that figure. I'll bring you another piece from the Wall Street Journal this morning really highlighting how far the situation has deteriorated. According to this, there are around 600,000 people uh, starving, facing starvation across the globe, and 95% of that number are in Gaza. I talked about that death toll of 25,000. According to this piece, it could get a lot worse if famine were to set in, which is a real possibility in the next six months, according to World Food Programme. And they say nearly all Gazans are skipping meals every single day, Stuart. 
farmers' anger uh, is rising. They're multiplying, according to the French paper La Croix. For weeks, they've been alerting public officials to their struggles, but it was only after they began uh, blocking a major highway uh, in the south of France several days ago that the government finally started to take uh, the issue seriously. Now, amongst their concerns are skyrocketing costs, a raft of new regulations, especially from the European Union. Uh, they also decry the gap between government injunctions and their reality. The government says that farmers are essentially uh, responsible or they, they're being tasked with assuring, with guaranteeing the nation's food sovereignty. But they say maybe they have that mammoth task. But at the end of the day, they're struggling to make ends meet uh, at the end of the month. Uh, Libération, for its part, the left-leaning paper here in France as well, uh, reminds us that farmers also uh, immobilized Germany. They blocked borders in Poland. They disrupted imports in Romania and even upended uh, the political landscape in the Netherlands before beginning to express uh, anger here in France. Take us to Germany, Erin. What's going on there? Huge protests uh, again against far-right extremism this weekend. Yeah, nearly 1.5 million people, to be exact, took part in demonstrations about uh, against the AFD uh, party over the past several days. And that came after revelations that party leaders had discussed the option of essentially deporting massive numbers uh, of immigrants uh, from Germany. Now, Dirk Tagesspiegel uh, doubts that this mobilization will be enough to contain the rise of the far right, especially because it says that Olaf Scholz's coalition essentially appears to be uh, too fractured by internal divisions to really uh, unite to confront the threat of a rising uh, far right. Now, uh, Der Spiegel has an analysis of its own. They say that while no parties seem to have a solution to countering uh, the far right, they know what needs to be done. The paper argues that mainstream parties should uh, resist misleading false dichotomies and simplifications on things like demographic change, global warning, warming, even globalization. Uh, they said that they need to brand racist rhetoric by the far right as such. Uh, and finally, they say they need to stop elevating parties like the AFP by uh, placing its issues at the heart of political debates. Of course, they're talking mostly uh, about immigration. Instead, they say that other parties need to start focusing on the AFD's lack of credibility, its hypocrisy, its lies, and its charlatanry, I, I quote. The U.S. has justified the strikes on both Yemen and Iraq as a response to a series of attacks against U.S. personnel since the Israel-Hamas war began. Washington's been trying to keep the war from spilling over into a wider conflict. But Iraq says the U.S.'s actions are having an adverse effect. Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani called the strikes on Iraqi territory an unacceptable act undermining years of cooperation, blatantly violating Iraq's sovereignty and contributing to an irresponsible escalation. Those press reviews and report were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. They are also available at most podcast sites. On to NHK Japan. Russia says their military aircraft that was returning Ukrainian prisoners of war was shot down by Ukraine. An update on the January 1st earthquake in central Japan. The head of the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons urged Japan to participate in their meetings. The Taiwan president-elect met with U.S. politicians angering China. NHK Japan. 
Russia's defense ministry says a military aircraft carrying Ukrainian prisoners of war has crashed in the country's western region of Belgorod that borders Ukraine. Russian officials claim Ukraine shot it down. The ministry says 65 Ukrainian POWs, six crew and three guards were on the Russian plane. It says the POWs were being flown from an air force base near Moscow to the border region for a prisoner exchange. The ministry says everyone on board died. It claims two missiles launched from the eastern Ukrainian region of Kharkiv destroyed the plane. Earlier, members of Russia's lower house of parliament said an anti-aircraft missile system provided by a western nation was involved. Presidential spokesperson Dmitry Piskov says the Kremlin will investigate. Thousands of people are still staying in shelters three weeks after the powerful earthquake that devastated central Japan. 34,000 houses and buildings in Ishikawa Prefecture were damaged in the quake and thousands more still do not have running water. They have confirmed 232 people dead and 22 others still unaccounted for. Those who lived through the worst of the quake are waiting to learn when basic utilities will return. About 49,000 homes still do not have running water. The earliest it's expected to be restored is late February. Many communities remain cut off by damaged roads. Areas hit by the quake are also bracing for heavy snowfall, which is expected to begin Tuesday. Regulators say the quake revealed lingering issues in Japan's nuclear industry more than a decade after the triple meltdown at the Fukushima Daiichi plant. Ishikawa Prefecture's only nuclear facility itself suffered just minor damage, but some worrying cracks were still exposed in other areas. The Shika nuclear plant sits on the west coast of the Noto Peninsula. Its two reactors have been kept offline since 2011, but it still needs a steady power supply to cool spent fuel. During the quake, the facility's transformers were damaged. It's been forced to run on backup lines, and utility officials say it'll take more than six months to fully restore the system. The head of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, or ICANN, has urged Japan to take the first step of participating as an observer in a meeting of the state parties to a UN treaty banning nuclear arms. It is time for Japan to show principled moral leadership on this issue, as it is in the unique position to do having been the only country to be attacked by nuclear weapons in conflict. Park was speaking at a news conference Monday in Tokyo after visiting Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Her trip to Japan coincided with the three-year anniversary of the adoption of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Park said leadership is about taking the first steps and setting an example for others. The international group won the 2017 Nobel Peace Prize for its contribution to bringing about the treaty. Japan's policy of reliance on the so-called nuclear umbrella of the United States offers only the illusion of protection, and it greatly diminishes Japan's credibility in the field of disarmament. Park also called on world leaders to listen with their hearts to stories of atomic bomb survivors and understand the impact of nuclear weapons on humanity. Taiwan's president-elect will not officially take office until May, but he's already met with American lawmakers. Lai ching is seeking guarantees from Washington it'll support Taiwan's self-defense as tensions simmer with Beijing. 
Two co-chairs of the U.S. House of Representatives Taiwan Caucus visited the presidential office Thursday. They met with Lai, who's vowed to carry on the policies of his predecessor, Tsai Ing-wen. Ahead of the visit, the American guided missile destroyer USS John Finn sailed through the Taiwan Strait. The Navy's 7th Fleet says it was a demonstration of the U.S. commitment to upholding freedom of navigation. China's military reacted strongly to the move, accusing U.S. forces of frequently carrying out provocative actions, undermining regional peace and stability. It adds its forces remain on high alert to defend China's national interests. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. On shortwave, they are heard at 9 p.m. at 13735 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. NHK may also be found at most podcast sites, as is the shortwave report. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could help support this listener-funded program, PayPal contact information is available at my website, outfarpress.com, or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Your support helps the weekly production and distribution of this show, which is supplied without charge to over 100 radio stations across the globe. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. A United Nations expert warned about the danger of the UK crackdown on environmental activists. Radio Havana, Cuba. The United Nations experts have warned that environmental activists face a severe crackdown in the UK and that peaceful protesters are the targets of toxic discourse. The United Nations Special Rapporteur on Environmental Defenders, Michael Forst, said he had received extremely worrying information about an increasingly severe crackdown during a recent visit to the UK. Quote, regressive laws were being used to give environmental and climate activists severe penalties, including in relation to the exercise of the right to peaceful protest, he warned in a statement on Tuesday. The right to protest is a basic human right. It's also an essential part of a healthy democracy. Forst is an independent expert appointed under the United Nations Aarhus Convention, which provides for justice in environmental matters. Last year, British police were granted anti-protest powers by the government following years of disruptive demonstrations by environmental activists. But Forst said now peaceful protesters were being persecuted for the criminal offence of public nuisance, which is punishable up to 10 years in jail. Last month, a peaceful climate protester who took part in a slow march for 30 minutes was sentenced to six months in prison. The experts stressed that before the arrival of these regressive laws, it had been almost unheard of since the 1930s for members of the public to be imprisoned for peaceful protest in the UK. He added that it was impossible to understand that some judges had barred environmental defenders from explaining to the jury their motive for protesting, or for mentioning climate changes at all. Forst also slammed the British government's harsh bail conditions on environmental protesters. He said environmental defenders may be on bail for up to two years from the date of arrest to their eventual criminal trial. He pointed out that severe bail conditions could adversely
directly affect personal lives and mental health. Faust warned that environmental activists were frequently publicly condemned in British media and by politicians, placing them at heightened risk of threats, abuse and physical attack. This, quote, toxic discourse, he said, may also be used by the state as justification for adopting increasingly severe and draconian measures against environmental defenders. That report was from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radio8c.cu. There's no podcasts. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6060 or 6165. At their website, radiohc.cu, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, find information for online support. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 26 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I am recuperating from spinal surgery, I am staying in a house connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.